Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We've had a great trip down to Bentonville, Arkansas. Yes, we were at Big Sugar after being at the Belgian Waffle Ride over in Lawrence, Kansas. We've been in Bentonville for the past week, and like I think if you're in cycling, this was the place to be this week between the World Cup last weekend, People for Bike Summit, Outer Bike, and Big Sugar. It's been, it feels like a reunion of sorts, really. Yeah, it's been great to see people from different eras in our life, I guess, the cyclocross era and the, I don't know what other eras there are in that. But that's pretty much the yeah, only era. Yeah, that's all there is. But it seems like, yeah, the cyclocross industry has just shifted to gravel, which is like pretty funny. But yeah, it's been been awesome to, to see everyone and catch up and just chat with everybody about all of the stuff going on. Um, yeah. And gravel has been really interesting this season. And I think today's guest really like exemplifies that. So we have Sydney Marshburn on. She is a above the knee amputee. Uh, and she's going to tell her whole story, but she actually participated in SBT gravel. So the steamboat race uh, this summer, and that race is particularly unique because they did have a specific para category and people like Marley Blonsky really put a lot of effort into this all bodies on bikes movement, really trying to open up gravel racing in particular to like just all different types of people being able to ride the course. So you know, Sydney's story is awesome. She actually wasn't a cyclist uh, prior to her amputation, but then she actually just read about SPT Grapple on um, Click Medical's site. So they're the people that do uh, some of the parts of the prosthetic. And they were doing a raffle for an entry to SPT. Oh, neat. And she was just like, well, you know, this is just my life now. I'm going to figure this out. Uh, and just very optimistically, like put her name in the raffle, ended up winning it and got into SPT. And then suddenly it was like, okay, need to find a bike, need to figure out how to ride this thing. Cool. cool. And and Rebecca's private Idaho was also doing, yeah. uh, including the para categories. Yeah. Right? So it's very cool to just see gravel really pushing this inclusivity front. So while even the professional field in gravel is expanding so much and it's becoming such a big deal to be, you know, a pro gravel racer, it's also opening up on the other side of things where it's literally anyone can and they're invited and encouraged to be there which is just so so cool uh yeah so sydney's story is just absolutely remarkable she was one of my favorite people i've ever gotten to talk to on this podcast just so like optimistic and has just such a a great story and honestly some really practical tips for recovering from any injury uh because you know the the process of getting onto the bike and getting going with that you know, was just such a, an adventure for her. And I think her outlook on it is one that uh, anyone dealing with any kind of injury should really be listening to and kind of taking to heart. So yeah, it's it's just such a such an awesome story. But before we get into that, just a quick word from today's sponsor. We have AG1 by Athletic Greens. Uh, let me tell you, the past 10 days on the road, it's been real good to have Athletic Greens. Uh, in the van ready for us every morning because I don't know about you, but uh, I've not been eating super, super well these past 10 days. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's great to have something that's, you know, you know what it is. Uh, it has that third-party rating. Uh, it's just a, a great product that we, you know, especially when we're traveling in the, these busy times uh, where it's harder to get, you know, whether it's trying to avoid restaurant food or just, you know, keep your routines as well, right? Yeah, and I know I've said it on here before. It's also just the hydration piece. The fact that it's like every morning I need to take this powder, which has all of my, you know, greens, multi, my vitamins, my minerals, my adaptogens, my probiotics, my prebiotics, all of that. But it also forces me to drink a giant glass of water. And for me in the morning, that's been critically important because I am a, if there's coffee, I will just chug that all day, every day, and then completely forget to drink actual water, especially in busy weeks like this. And with the travel packs, which are part of the bonus, uh, if you can order through our link, uh, you get these travel packs. And the travel packs are nice, right? If you compare, you know, five little travel packs, maybe in your suitcase or your briefcase or your backpack uh, versus, you know, trying to bring all your multivitamin supplements or your greens powder as well. Uh, It's sort of these pre-portioned packets are actually quite handy as well when you're on the road. Yes, definitely. And I was just telling, I was just telling a friend here, actually, uh, I actually gave her one of our travel packets because she didn't trust me on the table because she's like I've tried greens powders before and I've never liked them and I was like okay I promise you this tastes better than other greens powders so I gave her a travel pack so we'll see if I, I've converted her but has kind of this uh, I keep calling it vanilla papaya which I'm not really sure is totally accurate but I think is accurate either way I think everyone should should give it a shot uh, so in order to do that uh, to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D which is it's a nice little dropper actually very tasty as well and five free travel packs with your first purchase so all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash molly h because consummate was too hard to spell. Uh, so that's athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And definitely head over to at consummate athlete on Instagram and just let us know what you what flavor you think it has if you've, if you've gotten it. I'm very curious. All right. With that said, let's get into this awesome interview with Sydney Marshburn. Sydney, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited to to have you here and get to hear all about your story and your your race report for SBT Gravel. I'm thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh! So give let's just start with like the quick backstory of your your athletic childhood. Let's let's set the stage here. I know you did some competitive swimming. What did that look like? When did you first get in a pool? What was it like? I... So I had, I had been in the pool since I was, God, a baby, <laughs> like as, as young as you can put a kid in, that's when my mom started giving it, like give, making us go to swim lessons and all of that. I'm one of three girls. So I'm the oldest and, um, my dad's in the Navy. So we would move around every one and a half, two years, um, to, to different places being, you know, like Japan and Korea and then other, you know, statewide areas. And I think when you have that almost nomadic lifestyle, you end up, um, holding on to the things that are so constant and the things that were constant were my sisters, our dog growing up and sports, um, so my mom always, no matter where we were living, she always had us signed up for youth sports, whether at baseball, soccer, gymnastics, taekwondo, you know, all those things, um, and swimming, of course. And I think when I was about eight, I decided 
Well, okay. My hand eye coordination actually has gotten better since I lost my leg, but it was awful to begin with to the point where my parents were like concerned. Um, I could not catch balls. I could not do anything like that, but I really was good at swimming. So, um, I decided when I was eight years old, I'm going to do this as my primary sport. And I, I swam competitively from the age of eight to the summer before my senior year of high school. So it was a big chunk of time. And it, um, it definitely, it wasn't the only thing that defined me, but it definitely had that, that part of me, that was that my identity and my sisters followed, um, one really liked to swim. So we swam together. And then the other one just didn't want to be left behind. Um, uh, just the youngest one, you know, get in the pool. Yep. Um, <laughs> and well- And I imagine, I imagine for you moving around so much, the sports are such like a fast track to making friends and like finding that community pretty much wherever you are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So our days um, included like once we hit 13, 14, we started doing double practices a day and um, those would include like dry land and pool workouts and a whole bunch of different things. And when we weren't doing that, we were at swim meets or, um, you know, doing, doing things just to better ourselves with the sport kind of, um, do those kind of extracurriculars, I would say. Um, but my mom also wanted us to be super well-rounded. Um, and that, that was, you know, in academics, we would have to, you know, get good grades and work hard on them. Um, So we were also involved in like culinary club. I like to cook. So I was like, oh, let's, let's try this. And um, National Honor Society. So our schedules really did not have a whole bunch of free time um, between sports and academics and all that. So it was a very busy childhood. (laughs) Yeah, swimming alone. I was actually just talking to someone whose uh, kids are in competitive swimming now, and they're like under 10 and they're already into like the double day practice. And she's like, my day starts at 4 a.m. now. Oh. <laughs> how is this a thing for these like, you know, tiny humans? But that's that's oh. what swimming is. So well, and they always start before we get our driver's license. <laughs> so the parents have to go and we wake up, they wake up. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. So you're active pretty much in everything. Uh, Sounds like you were pretty much like working around the clock here. Um, And then there's this EDS diagnosis. So when does this happen? What does this look like? Just to, you know, give our our listeners here a sense of how this all coalesced here. So I was diagnosed during my senior year of high school, but it had been after having problems for my entire life that they were finally able to put the puzzle pieces together. And um, I would have weird symptoms, like I would dislocate my knee coming out of a pool, or I would be writing and my shoulder would pop out. And it's like, that's not normal. And then um, the pain definitely in high school started um, in not improving, but like it increased monumentally. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't know what to do. I was otherwise a very healthy individual. So they're like, oh, she's faking, she's faking that kind of thing. And I was like, well, you can't really fake this stuff. Um, But we end up going to a geneticist and he diagnoses me with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic connective tissue disorder that um, comes on by a defect in collagen. So for, for those who don't know, collagen is the protein that, you know, it makes up 
everything from our skin to our joints, to our organs, all of it. And so when you have a defect in collagen, all of those body systems I mentioned get affected and um, you can have symptoms that are painful and um, like a dislocated shoulder that is painful and inconvenient but it can also turn into um, things that are life-threatening. So for me, I had had the painful symptoms for a long time, but when I got to college, it started, my skull started uh, slipping and started almost, they call it internal decapitation is when you get a, I know. <laughs> um, Hard when, yikes. Um. It was scary. And I was passing out because I could be talking to someone and um, my skull would slip and it would cause brainstem compression and I would lose oxygen. So throughout college, I was sustaining so many concussions to the point where my senior year, I had to have people read to me because I couldn't see straight. And um, looking back, I'm like, how did I even graduate? But it actually, it got to the point where my doctor was like, you need to consider dropping out of school. And I was like, I paid too much money for this. So I need to finish. So I ended up, um, Every time there was summer break, winter break, I took classes and I was always in class. So I could get that piece of paper that yeah. said I I um I graduated. And that was in August of 2020. So like we were already, we were going through a pandemic. We were there were the world was, you know, <laughs> falling apart. And um, yeah, so I, I graduated during the pandemic. And then a couple months later, I had um my skull screwed down to my C3 to help uh to stabilize it I'm so glad because I have not had a concussion since oh my gosh I mean first of all can we just like talk about the medical gaslighting of like oh nothing's wrong nothing's wrong and even just the like the drop out of school as the the best option like yeah how do you how do you contend with that like how do you fight back against that so the doctors locally um pretty much said I was out of luck and just to, you know, continue, but it was going to kill me. And all it took was an upright MRI for them to see like textbook, Hey, your brain's being compressed. That's why you're, you're doing it. But I was referred to from a hospital. They said, Oh, just get behavioral therapy. Cause you're doing it to yourself. I was like, I can't read. I can't drive. I can't do anything. And, um, yeah. So we ended up, my mom would fly in and we would go to, we would drive 12 hours away to Charleston, South Carolina. And um, the specialist, the neurosurgeon there is actually one of the top experts for EDS. And he knows how our bodies work differently and all of that. And so he was like, oh yeah, this is a textbook case. Like it shows up on the, uh, the imaging had this, you know, this nationally merited hospital that was in the area. Had they even thought to do that? would have solved itself but yeah that's not frustrating (laughs) at all (laughs) absolutely not so before we even get into the the bike portion clearly you've been demonstrating this ridiculously high level of resilience for it seems like your entire life because even if we go back to when you were a little kid and you're you know getting moved around every like year or two it doesn't sound like you struggled with that it sounds like you found a way to thrive within that when you get told you're you should just drop out of college you pushed through and and finish that. Uh, also, what was your degree in? Like, what were you studying? So I studied music business with a minor in uh, PR. So I'm actually about 45 minutes away from Nashville. Seemed like, you know, a good, good kind of area. Um, but I actually ended up taking more of the sports media classes 
Um, and that's what I enjoyed. And it actually went with my minor. So I was trying to get jobs like in the sports industry for uh, media, whether that be working for an NFL team or the Paralympics or stuff like that. I just wanted to be involved. And I think after, um, after so many years of being out of sports, not by choice, but because of my health, I missed it. And I needed to find a way back, whatever that way was. So I love that. I love that. What do you think, like, how do you, where does this resilience come from? Like, is this something your parents have like really instilled in you? Is this just this thing you have, or is it something you've had to kind of hone here? Um, I think a little bit of everything. My mom is probably the most resilient person I know. Um, You can't really tell her no with anything. She's like, okay, well, I'll just find a way around it. And so I think growing up with that, and there were also like no excuses, you know, just you know, try to be the best version of yourself, whatever it is on that day. Cause you know, not every day you're going to be at a hundred percent, but you know, if you give everything you have for the day, you're at 80%, like that's still a win. Um, and so I think that was a big part of it, but also, um, with my mom, she would instill it in us. And then when I started having all my health issues, I almost had to kind of figure it out for myself a lot of the ways, because I was the only one in my family going through that, you know, those, those symptoms. And I, I was still expected to live a full life. And that's the thing with like invisible illness versus, you know, people see me now and they're like, oh, she's an amputee. But when you don't have that and all your hardware is inside of you, people just expect you to be held to the same standards as they would an able-bodied person. And I think that was, I started holding myself to that standard, even though I knew days like I was stuck in bed or I couldn't, you know, I was bed bound and there was a big portion of me that, that was, um, I just couldn't do it, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those on the days you feel your worst. Those are the days you really have to step up and show yourself that you're capable. And that's probably the biggest battle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like go-to, uh, like motivational, like certain like playlists or songs or like videos you have queued up? Absolutely. And I love looking up inspirational quotes. Um, I write down a lot of them that I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and, you know, open it up when I need to to read something. And mm-hmm. I like listening to other people talk about how they've gotten through hard times. Um, I think, you know, there are people that go through, obviously, everyone has different experiences in life. But um, if you're all there's a way like, oh, someone got through losing their arm while I'm losing my leg. Let's, you know, see the resilience. And I think you have those, those movies of people coming back from things. And a lot of them are sports movies. If you notice, like, um, I'm not going through what they're going through, but at the same time, I can relate to them almost on a spiritual level. And mm-hmm. so those are the kind of things I, I keep in my mind and write down when I, when I need something. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay, you've you've alluded to it a couple times now. You did end up having to get your leg amputated. Talk us through just what that how that what that looked like for you. It was very scary. Um, and I think it was from my first spinal fusion that was a lumbar fusion. And it it the surgery worked everything it was supposed to do. I had it the summer after my senior year of high school. So right before I went to to Tennessee for college and it was the surgery 
fixed everything it was supposed to. So it's not even like I can blame, oh, this was negligence. It was just my body, how I reacted to certain things. And it caused um, complex regional pain syndrome, which basically burns you alive. Um, and so it would start in my leg and it would get infected and swollen and blisters the size of my palm, just, you know, very disgusting. And I was trying to just make it through the the day-to-day -day things, but I was also recovering from having my skull screwed on and I could not, I had to sleep here on the desk with my head down because I couldn't have anything touching my leg and it would start on the inside and it would completely burn out. Um, so I, I didn't wear pants. I had, I couldn't wear shoes and these infections, they would be caused by say I hit, stubbed my toe or something or the EDS made it. So I would dislocate an ankle or a knee and that's where it would start. And these infections would last for seven months at a time. And, you know, I've, I've said this to other people. I'm so grateful that they were able to take my leg as it was spreading up and that I haven't had those same issues. I mean, I've had other issues, but um, I, I'm so thankful that that part of my journey is over. Um, I wasn't getting any sleep. I wasn't, I wasn't functioning and they had gotten me fitted for a wheelchair a couple months before. I think I got it in July and I lost my leg in August. So for about a month and they were saying, you know, you have to accept the fact that you're probably going to be in a wheelchair forever. And, you know, I was 22. It was something I had to learn to accept. And I was really trying to accept that. Um, and then they, I went to a doctor for wound care and they said, oh my gosh, that's, that's not good. Like it, your leg is dying. And so they sent me to the vascular surgeon and they like, uh, you know, ha had me cut the line almost essentially, like they booked it in there. Um, and the surgeon walks in and he looks at my leg and he looks at his notes and he goes, yeah, that needs to come off. And I thought all of my surgeries, except for the emergency ones had been scheduled. So I thought, okay, let's, you know, schedule it, come back. He goes, it needs to go now. And so 36 hours later, I lost, I lost my leg. And, you know, looking back, I'm so happy it went that way because if I had a date, like, you know, three weeks left with two legs or something like that, like I would have 36 hours for me was enough <laughs> and I would have been yeah. completely panicked with, with the rest of it. Cause like, what do you do when you know that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Now, when that happened, did you feel like a degree of relief almost where it's like, okay, now I can sort of like start to deal with this and like move on to this, this next chapter? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember um, being in the hospital. And so I actually, the day after I, um, I lost my leg, I ended up having to have another surgery because I fell coming out of the, the bathroom and it like all the stitches ripped or staples ripped open oh. and all of that. And um, so my, my leg and what was left of it was not happy with me. Um, I was it was hard and it is hard for me to come across, like to accept the fact that he had to take my knee too. And like, I'll go through pictures and I see like, how, how was I surprised when he said he couldn't save my knee? But at the time I went into his office knowing that, yes, he's probably going to say it needs to go. Um, and I had done research and the most common lower limb amputation is a below knee amputee. So I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, get a baloney amputee and it'll be fine. 
And that's not what happened. So I think my mom, she had flown in, they were, they're stationed in uh, Italy. And so she flew in from Italy for this appointment. And I think it must have been, oh my gosh, my daughter's going to lose her leg. <laughs> like that must have been going through her mind and my mind. I was like, you can't save the knee. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's I big didn't picture. Do you're, you're very focused on this joint. Like, hang on a second. <laughs> yeah. It it's different. I, I love that. It, okay. So this is like a weird thing to say, but it seems like your, your parents especially could have been like, they could have come to you and like moved that, like moved to you and been like, okay, you can't be independent by your, like, you can't figure this out. Like we need to be there like helping. Um, and it's just so impressive to me that like, they sort of trust you to like, hand, like they've trusted you all of these years to to have this independent life. Like that's such a gift that they've given you. Cause I think a lot of parents would be so inclined to like hang on to you and like not let you out of their sight when you started having any of these things. So like that independence, I think is why you were able to kind of like deal with that and be like, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah. And I also give a lot of credit to my fiance. Um, he actually moved. So we were stationed in Nebraska and he moved my sophomore year of college, junior year, something like that. And we got a townhome together. So all of my bad episodes, when I would pass out, he would be the one there. And my parents know that he's definitely probably almost more protective. Like, Hey, don't do this. Don't do the X, Y, Z than they are. So they're like, Oh, just leave her with Sam. She's fine. <laughs> but my mom would fly out for all of the, the major appointments and that was that was a huge help because at this point I'm, I'm terrified of doctors and you know just scared that they're gonna pass me by again mm-hmm. and um so having my mom there to be an advocate was so helpful for me yeah which I think is actually a great tip because we've had on this podcast a lot of like people dealing with that invisible illness side of things mm-hmm. and I think the best thing that everyone has said is like having that other person there to advocate for you because I mean it's it's a it's just a very emotionally fraught thing for you to have to be trying to talk to a doctor and be like no I'm not making this up it's not in my head this is real and then to actually have someone sitting there and saying like yes I've seen this happening like this is you know like the much like the objective here's the information I think it's just so helpful yes I completely agree with that okay (laughs) so this is a year ago, a year and a few months ago now. And in that year, you got on the bike, which we didn't mention cycling as one of these things that you did a lot as a kid or anything. So I'm assuming we're not like avid cyclists here. No. Uh, and you raced SBT gravel. Um, like, holy crap, how did that? <laughs> how did that coalesce? How did this all happen? So I will say it was kind of by fluke almost. Um, When I was in the hospital, I lost my leg at the perfect time. And I know that's weird to say, but it was during the 2020, 2021 Paralympic games. And so I was already planning on having a Paralympic party at the house. It was just moved to the hospital, you know, for a better location. I say Um, they had a better TV there and um, very like on theme, like an event planner couldn't do it any better. Honestly, right. And so we um, had the Paralympic party in the hospital and I had followed the Paralympics since London 2012. So I was, I was excited. I was ready for this. I was not going to miss any moment of it. And um, I think it hit differently than it used to, because I'm seeing people who, oh my gosh, these guys look like me and they're doing something so great. And 
it almost got me through because, you know, the Paralympics, their classifications and stuff, they don't include the invisible illness. It doesn't matter if you've had your skull screwed on or your back fused up. Like, you know, they're very inclusive, not inclusive, exclusive with what they, <laughs> what they let go. And so, which is I so think, ironic, like, let's I just pause for irony here. <laughs> You're like, no, I have plates back here yeah. and like, this is all fused, but it doesn't count because it's not like outer. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I think the first, one of the first moments was just watching that and being like, oh my gosh, I can get back to sports now. I can qualify. It's, you know, I'm no longer dealing with the life threatening symptoms of it. I still like dislocate shoulders and all of those things, but I know they're not going to kill me. And so it's almost safer. And so watching that in the hospital, I was like, I want to do that. And of course, I think people who were with me were like, hey, you were just wheelchair bound. Like, you know, don't, don't don't sweat it if you can I'm like no I, I really want to do this because I had been missing sports so much and throughout college um it was almost it was hard I went to college somewhere where I knew there wouldn't be a swim team that you know I'd have to walk by every day and be like oh that could have been me I went you know totally different with and tried to give my other dreams a chance and um that was helpful for me but it was also you your mind is still functioning as an athlete right and your you know your body just isn't there anymore and it it was so hard I would look in the mirror and all I would see was someone who was really sick and I didn't see the athlete I used to I didn't you know feel and there would be people who one of the worst things I would say oh yeah you know I swam and did this and they'd be like oh you swam like I mean I know they didn't mean it like that but it was the same time I was going through a lot emotionally and to have that oh yeah you don't even look like a swimmer anymore and you're sick and everything and that was so hard for me so anyways when I lost my leg I was like heck yeah I can get back into it and I made this promise to myself in the hospital like I can control I can't control a lot but I can control what what happens next and you know the direction I want to go I might not be able to control the specifics but so I made this promise and I was like why not you know that was that was the whole promise when I get opportunities yeah why not and so I ended up being hospitalized like a month later for a bone infection in my stuff and um you know, I kept telling my doctor, like, I need to be cleared to do X, Y, and Z. And he's like, you know, hold your horses, like, give it time to heal. I was like, no, I want to do it now. Um, and I had gotten my prosthetic leg a little bit later than I wanted, but, you know, still within the timeline of what they said, um, I should have gotten it. And I had been walking for a couple weeks, I think, um, when I saw Click Medical was doing a raffle, almost a raffle, I think like a contest for their SBT entrance because they uh, they were uh, sponsoring it. It was the first year they were sponsoring it. And I had found out about them through my prosthetic uh, team because they put their little, um, their adjuster technology on my socket. So I had been following them and I was like, you know, why not? Why not? I never win at raffles anyways. So I was like, eh, I'll just sign up. And then I found out I won and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is so great. I didn't even have a bike at the time. <laughs> I didn't have a bike. I didn't have like anything along the cycling guide. I didn't even have a helmet. I hadn't had a bike since I was 12. So, <laughs> so that was a little bit difficult. But I am so glad everything worked out the way it did because it's opened so many cool doors for me. And 
I've never had a sport that I could do that was just fun right? Mm-hmm. That I didn't, I could train for, but I didn't have to go all out and try to win. Um, and for me, that's, I found that in cycling and in dancing. And those have been so helpful in my healing process overall. I remember when I crossed the finish line, that SBT gravel, and like, I was so overcome with emotion because for the first time, I think in years, I didn't feel completely broken. And, you know, sports does that. Mm-hmm. They they bring people back. And I remember, I think it was Prince Harry at one point that said, um, nothing brings people back from their darkest moment like sports. I completely agree with that. And, you know, SBT Gravel was an example of that. You know, yeah. I felt capable for the first time in forever. Oh, I love it. I love it. Now, to get like very technical on this, the the prosthetic thing. How hard was it easy to find one that would work with the bike or what was that whole journey and situation like? Because I think, you know, for for anyone who is listening, who is kind of going through the same thing, I think it's it's probably not that simple to just like, boom, here is your like suitcase full of like the exact thing you need to do every single sport that you want to do. Absolutely. Um, the prosthetic part was very, very hard. I, it was a challenge that I didn't actually expect to have when I said I was going to do this bike race. Um, so we tried, my leg would come off because my limb is still shrinking and that's what it does for amputees within the first year or two. And, um, my leg would lose suction. It's a suction socket. So it stays on me like a vacuum almost. And, um, it would, completely fall off because when I would sit on a bike saddle or just a seat in general, it kind of pops it off and it makes it lose suction. So I was, you know, trying to, at at this point, I didn't even have a bike yet. So I was using a um, stand up upright stationary bike and it was coming off. And um, I have what's called a microprocessor knee which is like a computer's inside. It helps me with my gait. It helps, you know, notice patterns. Um, I connect to it through my phone. And the way my leg was offset um, from the knee to the actual socket, it was hitting the back of the hard part of my socket. And it just kept hitting it every time I pedaled. So not only was I losing my leg, when it was falling off, it was hitting the back and damaging the computer. And so I just happened to bring it up to my prosthetist. And I was like, yeah, by the way, it makes this weird noise when it hits the back. And he's like, what do you mean? And so then I showed him videos and he's like, you can't do this because your insurance won't pay for another one. They're like, they'll classify that as abuse to your prosthetic and they won't, they won't help get another one. So he said, okay, just try a recumbent bike. He knows, you know, some uh, wounded warriors that use recumbent bikes to, to do races and um, Ironmans and all the things that, you know, they can do now that they're prosthetics and everything kind of fits together technology wise um and so I said okay that's that's fine I'll look and luckily I didn't know they don't have these in a lot of places but we have a whole recumbent store that has like I know it has like 30 bikes at any given time and it's just a small little uh, mom and pop shop that we just walked in and I said I need one for gravel he said I have one for gravel here you go (laughs) so that was that was that but I was expecting to do the the race with one leg and um so that's how I was training with one leg and I'm gonna 
go back to, I have EDS, so I'm injury prone anyways. And um, all of the impact was being taken by that, that one knee that I still had. And I had an MRI, I think the week before I left for Steamboat Springs and it completely like, there was muscle degeneration, laxity, like none of it surprised me, but it was like the, oh, I need to start wearing um, KT tape, you know, that kind of thing and knee braces and whatnot. Um, And so about two weeks before the, before we even left for Steamboat, they had, uh, my prosthetist goes, okay, I found a donated mechanical leg, which mechanical legs are the ones that don't have the computer. So I can, I can beat the crap out of it and it'll be fine. You know, it's just metal. And he was like, I think this will be good for you. Um, so that's what I did. And I started training with it, but my socket was still coming off like that. Um, that wasn't the, the fix for everything. It was the fix for now I can do the race with two legs, but we need to find a way to keep it on. And so they sell these utility belts, like auxiliary belts where you put it across your socket and they hold you in place. And so I was like, okay, I'll order one of those. And I ordered it in July and I paid extra for two day shipping. And it shows up three weeks late, the day before we're supposed to head to Steamboat. And it shows up two sizes too big. I'm like, this isn't gonna hold me in at all. So I'm panicking, my mom's scrambling, we're trying to find something. And we call my prosthetist and he says, I think in our main Nashville office, we may have one in your size that works for you. I was like, okay, thank you. So we drove to Nashville and it was for the right above knee amputee, not the left. And so there, my mom and I just sat and their lab manager came in with his little sewing kit and started like making it um, fit for a lefty. And he added Velcro to it so that I could adjust it. And um, yeah, they came in clutch. I was going to say there, uh, I would not have even had a leg to, to race. And I know I would not have finished with, with the one leg that was <laughs> injured that I was using. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Can we talk about how it felt when you got to Steamboat, which is at the bottom of mountains? Uh, how was that when you just kind of like look around and it's just, just giant mountains? Were you like, oh no, I've made a huge miscalculation or were you like, I'm excited about this? A little bit of both, to be honest. <laughs> I think we got there and I was like, these are intimidating. And I, uh, to to preface, I live in the middle of Tennessee and our campus at our university where I went to school is actually the most disability friendly campus in the entire state because it's so flat. So <laughs> if that says anything from going to there to uh, Colorado, it was, it was a big adjustment. And I was, my mom and I got there three days before the actual race to get acclimated. And, um, it was, it was fun. It was an experience for sure. Going up the hills was really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, I remember going there a few years ago and the drive down the hill into Steamboat Springs it just keeps going. It does. You're like, oh no, am I going to have to go back up this? Like, <laughs> Okay. So SBT, give me the race report because uh, I've I've read your race report on Click Medical Site. We're going to link to it in the show notes. And it sounds like it was an amazing day, but also like a comedy of like errors that you solved for, but errors yeah. nonetheless. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, even from the uh, 
you know, getting ready for the race, preparing in Tennessee, there were so many things that came up that were like, okay, well, here's a new hurdle. How are we going to get, get over it? And I was like, oh, there were those moments that I was like, oh, the universe is trying to tell me not to go. Uh, I'm so glad I did. We get to, my mom and I get to Steamboat and we explore the area and it's beautiful. Okay. I was so happy just to be in Colorado in general. Um, and I'd never been to Steamboat before, so it was great. And we meet a lot of the locals and we meet the Click Medical team. And um, I get to meet some of the cyclists in the, that will be racing. And, you know, some of them are there to win and some of them are there just to have fun and, um, you know, go to the aid stops and talk to people and those kind of things. Um, I did not go expecting to fit in at all because I was like I'm not a cyclist this is like you know when someone shows up for a marathon and you know they just do their race and then they head out that's what I thought it was going to be but the whole gravel cycling community was so welcoming and inclusive like they made me feel like I was supposed to be there as opposed to oh this is your first time racing and my mom wasn't expecting that I wasn't expecting that but it it made me want to finish the race even more um so we actually, I rode with um, Paige Boucher from uh, the Inside Out Communications. She's the PR rep that Click Medical hired. Um, and sh we rode together and she made it so fun. I was going through and she was showing me certain landmarks and why they got their name and who had lived there before. And I learned so much just about like Steamboat Springs. I learned about her. I learned about gravel cycling because at this point, I still don't know really anything about gravel cycling. So she's kind of explaining to me like on the beginner level of this is what happens and this, you know, that kind of thing. And it was almost like a guided tour, which I was like, oh, this is so beautiful, like the area. And now I'm learning more like, oh, this mountain's called this. And, um, and it definitely took away from how painful the actual race was because my prosthetic started coming off and I kept <laughs> like, we had to walk up the hills because I ran out of horsepower just because my leg was coming off. And then my leg started coming off when I was walking too. And, um, and then, you know, usually when cyclists say that their legs are coming off, that they, they mean it more metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. And there I was having it, like almost having to pick it up and, and hop. But, um, Paige actually had, she had the idea of, Hey, you do, you push my bike. Cause it's, you know, a little more, up, uh, upright and she would push my thing. And that, that worked, that worked for a little bit. It got us up quite a few of the hills and people would pass us that were there to compete and they were doing the longer distances, but they were all so nice. They would say things like, you know, you're so strong, keep going. Or you like, you inspire us all. And I was sitting there, I was like, you guys are here to win. I'm just here to try to finish, you know? And if everyone was so nice and we got to the second aid station. Well, okay. At the first aid station, I was interviewed by um, one of the media members and I thought that was so cool. I was like, I'm not even here as a cyclist and they're interviewing me. I thought that was really cool. And yeah, everyone first of all, was... you were absolutely a cyclist. Uh, <laughs> let's just be clear about that here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we get to the second the second aid station and we meet one of the aid workers 
um, named Kevin. And Kevin was awesome. He drove behind in my mom's rental minivan and they would take turns helping me. So I would pedal and they would help push me up the hills. And um, if they thought they were like, oh yeah, she's got it on this one, they would, you know, stay in the car and just keep following. But that actually, it became a team effort to get me to the finish line. And I think my mom, she just, she was like, just try to make it to the first aid station. And then, you know, you can, we can get your stuff in the car and we can keep going. And, you know, it was one of those hero winner in our eyes. We're just so glad you did it. And I know they meant that, but at the same time, I was like, I'm going to finish. If I don't finish, I'm going to be really, really mad at myself. And so it was that whole like internal pressure that I had to, I had to do this. I came all the way. I'm going to finish the race. And um, it became a team effort for sure with um, Paige and my mom and Kevin. And then as we were coming into the last like uh, third of the race, the Click Medical team got on their bikes and rode next to me. So that was that was really fun. And we got we got stuck in a lightning storm. Um, as one does. And um, they were trying to like break the wind. So they would go next to me and trying to break the wind and trying to, you know, we were all trying not to get electrocuted. And I remember just like pleading to the weather gods, like, you can electrocute me after I cross the finish line, just get me there first. And there was almost that like, I'm made of metal. And I had a metal prosthetic leg on. So I was like, oh, gosh, I need to get to the finish. That was almost an incentive to go even faster. Yep, and yep. The, the downhills were so much fun. I went flying and I went airborne. And that was my favorite part of the whole thing. I love, love it. it. I love it. Uh out uh, out in BC in Canada, there's actually para downhill uh, on the mountain bike. Just just putting it out there to maybe put on your bucket list because uh, it sounds yeah. like you'd be pretty good at it. <laughs> I would like to try that for sure. Maybe I'd need to go by myself because I don't think anyone in my family would be like, oh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe plan that as like a secret trip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell them after the fact. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, I can tell you're a cyclist because you just referred to anything in Steamboat Springs as hills, but these things are freaking <laughs> mountains. Like, there's no such thing as like a little hill there. Like, we're talking about monster climbs. Uh, so let's be clear on that. Uh, <laughs> but you also brought up a good point that I kind of didn't think about. You were not just learning how to ride this recumbent bike and like learning to deal with your prosthetic leg. You're also learning to be a cyclist, which is something you hadn't done in like 10 years. Um, right. How was that? Like, like figuring out even just like the jersey and the shorts and all of the fun stuff that goes with that. <laughs> I had gotten, I had just gotten a jersey off of Amazon, you know, just as one does, you know, I didn't, I am still on a college kid budget. So, um, you know, paying back student loans. So I didn't have a lot of money and all the money we did have went to getting to Steamboat and um, getting the bike. Um, so I just bought like one of those cheap ones that you can find on Amazon. And then I started working with it with the recumbent bike. Well, there are different, um, the way the the pockets are are meant for a stand-up bike not for one that you're like leaning back in so at that point I was like oh goodness I I don't know what I'm gonna wear so I had gotten cycling shorts with um like the padded cycling shorts I didn't even need padded cycling shorts because I was just in a seat but I used them anyways I felt cool I felt official um <laughs> and 
Um, but the shirt actually, I was like, well, I don't have one with pockets. I don't need one with pockets per se, like where they're usually are. So I was like, I'm just going to have fun with it. And I had a friend who, um, had made me a shirt a while ago when I lost my leg and it said the strength of sunshine, which had been my motto forever. So that's what I wore across the, the, the whole the whole race and it was fun and but I did get a cycling jacket because I didn't know what kind of weather we were gonna prepare for so I'd gotten one and I felt all official in that but that came off real quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep okay so you've done this this one race uh any more cycling events in the future or what's what's next for you athletics wise so I am super excited I want to go back to steamboat for SBT gravel every year that I possibly can. I actually, my original mission um, was to do some recon because my dad's a cyclist and he was not able to come because he was in Italy doing his job, but they should be stateside uh, next year or so. They, I think they moved back to the States in June. And um, so I was just there to get recon, like get the lay of the land. So my dad and I can do it next year together. And then my mom, who's not a cyclist, she felt she felt so included by the community and everyone and trying to help. And she was like, I can do this. So she wants to do SVT too. And maybe we'll get one or two of my sisters too to join it, but but nice. maybe not. But well, yeah, we're making it a family thing. Nice. And I mean, you have a lot of gravel around where you are just in like that southeast kind of sector of the u.s so there's there's a lot of opportunities happening in and around where you are for sure i hear Uh, knoxville gets a lot of uh gravel races in mm -hmm. tennessee yeah so just just putting it out there something to 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 look at yeah and now i also saw that you were kind of thinking a little towards paralympics is that going to be back in the pool or is that on the bike or have you decided yet what's your thought so my main goal right now is to make team usa like come hell or high water and i thought that was going to be swimming and i there's that part of me that's just so excited to be back but there's that other part of me that i know I might not be able to get past where I will compare myself to who I used to be and the, you know, how good I used to be compared to, well, now I'm one leg short and, you know, my skull doesn't go all the way back to, to breathe or anything. And, um, so I actually ended up talking with a, a life coach who is a Paralympian. She's a snowboarder and she was saying, oh yeah, I was a gymnast before, I lost my leg and um, she just couldn't bring herself back to where she was. And she said, that's, that's normal. I'd never heard of like other people doing it, but you know, it's good to know I'm in the the majority of people who, who have these, these issues and these thoughts. Um, and she said, just try whatever sport you can and figure out where you want to, where you want to go from there. She said, if you'll get the feeling that it, when you would swim how you'll get that same feeling in another sport so give all of them a try and I'm really hoping fingers crossed we should find out in January if the LA 2028 games will include a para water polo because I played water polo growing up and um definitely not as much as I swam, but it was something that I know I can get back into. And my physical therapists have been working with me to, you know, tread water without, without a knee where you don't go like capsize or all of those things. So I've been actually working, um, 
really hard in hopes that they'll they'll put water polo in the Olympic uh, Paralympics. If not, then I really got to go back to the drawing board. But it's my goal to be on <laughs> Team USA. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, and that, I mean, it kind of answers the question I was going to ask about how you're you're setting these goals for yourself. So that's sort of so the outcome goal is Team USA. And it yes. sounds like some of the the process goals are more in this like you know working with the the physical therapist to figure out what's what's possible for you. Have you come like have you added any like habits, routines, anything like that to your day to kind of keep on track for this or where are you at with any of that? So for our I think fifth year anniversary, my fiance got me a um, Paralympic flag. And so the way we, I know I was so happy. That's like my favorite gift he's ever gotten me. And um, I hang it right above, um, above where I sleep kind of almost. So it's the first thing I see in the morning and the last thing I see at the end of the day. And that almost kind of reminds me, especially on the bad days, because, you know, on the good days, you want to conquer the world and you feel like you can. But on the bad days, it's those those little reminders to looking at the flag, hey, this is what you're doing it for. Um, and that's kind of what drives me almost. And everything I do, I do with the mindset, hey, this is going to help you down the road. This is going to be good for training. I had to fill out something for the SBT uh, raffle entrance. And I said, oh, this will help me with X, Y, and Z kind of training for um, you know, for my other sports that I do want to be very competitive in. And so it's just kind of making the most of every opportunity and seeing an opportunity in everything that, um, comes along. Love that. I love that. Um, and before we wrap up here for anyone who might be facing, you know, whether we are talking an amputation or even just that invisible illness diagnosis, that's going to change how they live. I mean, any advice on getting in, tapping into that resilience mindset, especially when you are having those, those down days? Absolutely. So I actually, so um, like I said earlier, I write down a lot of the things that A, have worked for me or B, that I want to work. And I've come up with like a lot of advice that I have written down. So Amazing. I will, I'll, can I, I share a couple? It. I love it when people have it written down. <laughs> um, okay, so some of these can go for anyone in any stage of life. Um, so a lot of them are like more towards recovery and trying to um, be the best you you can, but like be honest with yourself. There, We're in a culture that almost if you have any sort of illness or disability, they tell you, okay, um, almost forced positivity and it becomes toxic positivity where you're like happy all the time, even though inside you may be breaking. So like, understand that you will have these really dark moments, no matter how hard you try to prevent them. Um, try to give yourself grace and set time for yourself to feel those negative emotions in their entirety. And then, you know, I actually, I set timers and um, I'll be like, okay, cry it out for this long. And then put it back in the box and then come back to it, you know, the next day or something. That's been, um, that's been super helpful. And I think knowing that grief and gratitude can and do coexist, um, you can be sad. Like I'm sad about losing my leg. That's, that's, you know, there's no denying that, but I also understand that, you know, I wouldn't be able to do all of these things 
if I hadn't, and I, I still wouldn't be here, you know, like it would have killed me infection wise. So I am thankful for that, but you know, I do get sad. Um, listen to your doctors, your physical therapist, your prosthetist, and hold yourself accountable as well. Like no one's going to put in the work for you. Um, there'll be many days where you're too frustrated with the process to want to get up and continue, but like that's expected. Keep telling yourself you're on the right track and that it'll improve with time. Um, I think one of the big things about having an illness or a disability, so any kind of impairment, you have to find ways around things that um, I don't like to say, oh yeah, I'm completely unlimited. I can't do X, Y, and Z. It's just, I can't do it the way an able-bodied person would. So I come up with different ways to do life hacks or stay active. And a lot of it, um, they can be seen as unconventional, but you know, that's, there's no telling you, you can't, there's logistically you can't. And then there's, I can find a way around this. And that's, that's kind of where it, it comes in. And that kind of whole attitude of, you just got to find what works for you to get the, the same thing done. Um, I think I highly recommend going to the gym and finding exercises that you can do. But if you're anything like me, um, you don't get cleared for the gym right away because they know that you will, you know, <laughs> go too hard or end up getting more hurt. So if that's the case or the gym is maybe not your forte, there are other ways to incorporate movement into your life. And um, I think one of the things that's helped me is, that, okay, so I have a Costco membership first off and uh, we'll, we'll go, I'll leave my money at home because, you know, Costco tells you what you need and then you come home with a whole bunch. Um, but I'll, I would just go and practice my walking. I would get a walking, you know, like a cart and just walk around. Like it's a big store. You can be in there for hours looking at things and making rounds. And that was something um, I actually recommend for newer amputees trying to trust their process because it gets them out in public and it you know it's more of a safe environment than say you know going to the gym um I recommend like have fun with it dance you know turn on your favorite music and just try dancing or moving around and that's that's been super helpful um surround yourself with positive people who believe in you that is incredibly important and a lot of times I know I'm lucky to say I do have that support system um it's, it's hard. There can be, it's, yeah, it can be difficult when you don't have people to surround you. And the people I see um, nowadays, like they, I don't relate to them physically. You know, all of my friends have two legs and uh, all of that, but they're always like, Hey, if you want to talk about something, I might not get it, but I can, I can help. And if you don't, if you're not fortunate enough to have that one, I am sorry, because um, that's <laughs> that like breaks my heart. But also there are online support groups. We're in the age of social media and um, you can actually look up a hashtag of your condition and find accounts of people who go through the same thing you do. And that's been so beneficial to me. Um, because like I said, the people that I'm surrounded with physically every day, they, they don't necessarily know what I'm going through. And, um, there are so many different ways you can get, find people online. And, and most of them I've noticed are willing to answer any questions that you may have, which is super helpful. 
Um, and it just kind of gets you through those bad days. Like, Hey, this person is in the same boat as I am. And that's, that's been great. Um, I would say, please be kind to yourself. At least in, in my experience, we are our own worst critics. Um, things we say to ourselves, we would never say to our friends or coworkers or anything like that. Um, sometimes your feelings of defeat can overshadow your true progress. So celebrate all the small wins and, you know, it's not a cakewalk. You're not competing with anyone else. We all, amputee wise, we all lost our limb different ways. So why would all of our recoveries be the same? Like, and it's not linear. And I think the sooner you can understand that, Hey, you're going to have bad days or you're you're going to see like an amputee who's maybe, you know, running the Boston marathon. And you're like, I'm, I'm stuck at home. Like I'm not doing anything. There's, um, understand that it's different, you know, for each person, it's a case by case scenario and use that to almost lift yourself up, but lift everyone else up around you. That's been super important. And it's just like, know you're enough even when you feel otherwise and make the most out of every opportunity you're given um you never know what kind of doors they can open and as sorry (laughs) as someone who's had multiple life-threatening symptoms i like to live each day like to the max right you don't necessarily have to do that but um finding something that you enjoy every day has been super helpful Oh, so good. All of those were just solid gold, uh, which, uh, yeah, just so good for, for anyone. I mean, really all of those apply <laughs> to the, the global experience as well as like this, this specific, you know, someone who is facing this, this situation. Um, and I know you're, you're doing a lot of stuff online, you know, advocating for amputees and just kind of talking about this mindset stuff. So before we go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can hear all of the good stuff. Yes. So if you feel inclined to follow my journey, I share a lot of my life and experiences in hopes to help destigmatize what it what life looks like with chronic illness or limb loss. Um, the best place to get a hold of me and ask questions and all of that would be on Instagram. And my Instagram name is SydneyM87. So that would be that would be great. And I do answer a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions. This past um April for Limb Loss Awareness Month, I asked my followers, hey, what do you want to know? And um, I've noticed that people don't necessarily feel comfortable asking about other people's impairments and stuff. So I wanted to create a safe space like, hey, you can ask this. And I got uh, answers that were completely they were a bright, a broad spectrum. Some wanted to know about my personal journey. Some wanted to know, you know, the technical terms. And there were a lot of ones about my prosthetic leg because they think that's the coolest, but I've also gotten ones of like, Hey, how do I address disability with my kids? And, you know, I'm not a mom, but I can give my two cents as someone who gets asked by kids a lot. Um, and I'm always, I'm always, you know, checking my, my DMs. So if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. I love it. I love it. So when kids ask you, are you doing like, I'm a superhero and this is just part of my, my origin story? Cause I think well, that's a good. 
Funny enough, um, I actually spoke to a um, third grade summer STEM class and they were their whole June was working on prosthetics. So the teacher had asked me to talk to them and we found out um, that my and I found this out, too. I didn't know. But my part of my prosthetic is made from uh, the same material they use to make airplane wings. And so the kids are like, oh, my gosh, are you part airplane? Can you fly? And so it's just kind of I mean, maybe like let's let's test it. But it's just um, cute things like that. I like it. Science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. I mean, <laughs> oh, amazing. Sydney, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat and yeah, sharing your whole story. Thank you for inviting me. I had such a fun time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 